This is gonna hurt. It's time, it's time for the Suffering, for the suffering Podcast. 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 The truth of our relationships lie within the boundaries of trust. And do we really know anybody? Often reactions come from unexpected angles, blindsiding us and forcing a long, hard look at reality. Jaded, shell-shocked, and gun-shy are the new ways that we must live our lives when that bond of trust is broken, wondering when the next attack will be coming our way. The person you trusted the most now becomes the person you trust the least. Our relationships are a slippery slope. As human beings, we require them because we are a species that thrives on togetherness. But too often love and trust are replaced by vengeance. I'm Kevin Donaldson here with Mike Felace, and welcome to The Suffering Podcast. If you're a fan of overcoming adversity and overcoming suffering, then we're for you because that's the stories that we highlight. So do me a favor, hit that like button, subscribe to the channel, please comment, and now you can join. Don't forget to ring the bell so you can get notified of all of our new content and follow us on all social media so you can find out exactly what, is what we're up to. On this episode of The Suffering Podcast, we welcome Tom Flynn to discuss the suffering of a domestic. Tom knows all too well when a marriage falls apart and a relationship goes sour. Before we get into anything, let's throw a big shout out to our marquee sponsor. That's Toyota of Hackensack. We don't trust anybody as police, but we do trust them. So go to toyotahackensack.com. Let them find you a car. So, Tom. Thank you so much for coming in. Ah, uh, it's my pleasure. All he's right. like a big fan too. I you know, know. I love I mean, it. I he's love he's it. on all of our Instagram lives and all that stuff. I mean, that, that's crazy. You know, ever since t- we've seen that Flynn T coming up on Instagram, it always puts a smile on my face because it 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 makes it all worth it. Well, really why don't we get into how you and Tom met? So Tom found the show through Mike De Palma. Mike De Palma. More people have found the show through Mike De Palma than anybody else. Maybe Stuart Churchill is another one. Uh, all of our Hoboken connections. And the, the oddest thing happened. I'm, I'm doing something at my church. My church is based out of New York City. And I'm walking back. And I don't like going into the city at all. I'm walking back. We're, walk, we're right in front of Madison Square Garden. I'm trying to get to the path. And, and getting in the path with all that construction going on is, is a nightmare. And I hear Kevin Donaldson. I was like, oh, man. Oh, shit. As long as it's not a cop. <laughs> you know, it's 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 usually a, Hands behind your back. somebody, somebody uh, maybe arrested or something. That's that's what I'm thinking. I'm like, oh, my God. And I turn around, and I don't recognize you because I only see your name. Yeah. And there you go. And you introduce yourself. And I remember on the ride home, I called Mike De Palma. I said, yeah, the, 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 who's this guy, Tom Flynn? Who, he follows, uh, follows us on Instagram. Tell me about him. And Mike told me about him. And then, I, then it clicked. Then, because Mike had told me about what you have done for him, and we're going to get into that. Sure. So, Tom, each week we take a, a social media question from one of our audience. This one comes from Barabbas three sixteen. Real simple. So, what are you grateful for? Because all, out of all the crap that all of us have gone through on this table, yeah. there has to be gratitude in your life. So, what are you grateful for? Absolutely, one hundred and ten percent. It it comes immediately to mind. the The greatest day. Uh, for me as a human being is the day I became a father changes everything. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, even before then I can tell you, um, when, uh, I put my hand on my wife's uh, abdomen when she was pregnant and my first daughter, grace, you know, like children in the womb, they kick. You feel that first kick first. This wasn't a kick. It was a soft, gentle, I don't know if she was moving her foot. And the way I describe it to people I know, it was 
through my hand straight up to God. Mm. It was it's through the hand straight to the heart also. Absolutely. I mean, that, I mean, that's, you know. We, as fathers, um, it's not the same as carrying them in the womb. But when, you, when you carry them in your heart and carry them in their mind, that is fatherhood. And it's the best thing. It's finally caring for something more than you care for yourself. As police, what do we do, right? We, we care for we, others. Care we for get everybody involved else. Yep, in, absolutely. In what's known as the noble cause, right? Even if we go for different reasons, it's a good job, whatever it is, we're doing it because we want to be a part of something that's bigger than us individually. And there's nothing more than being a father. Mike, what do you think? You know, I mean, everything we've been through. Um, right now, I'm grateful for my feet to move in the morning. <laughs> you know, every day I wake up, I'm just grateful that we could take out another day. You know, like I said, I'm probably the oldest guy in the room again. So you are. Yeah, you are. So I, I, I'm just grateful for every day. To, like, like Tom said, I mean, you're grateful for your kids, you know, the birth of your kids. I was there for the birth of both of my kids. And it was, I mean, fantastic. There's the first time your kid looks up at you and smiles when they finally could recognize you, you know, I mean, that, that, that's a great experience, but I'm just grateful to wake up every day now. You know, you see so much stuff going on now. I mean, these, these fires in Maui and all that, and how many people lost their houses and lost everything. People are jumping in the water to get away from it. I you saw know? that. You, you just got to be grateful for what you have. You know, like I said, I'm grateful to wake up every morning, get my feet moving. Once my feet move, people say like, how you doing? I say, I woke up this morning. Yeah. That's, Step one. Yeah. I hate to wake up dead. <laughs> <laughs> I am grateful for many things in my life. And sometimes you get, get a little short-sighted when you get stuck inside your darkness here. Of course, I'm grateful for my wife. I'm grateful for my kids. I'm grateful for my family. I'm grateful for my friends. This is going to surprise a lot of people, but, the, but what I'm most grateful for in my life is sitting right next to me. Because although he pisses me off, like you wouldn't believe. As you've seen. I love him dearly. <laughs> I can testify as a witness to I, that. I love him dearly. I love him like I love him more than I love my own brother. Yeah. Okay. And I think, you know, again, while he I'm gonna say this twice. While he pisses me off to no end, he makes me better. He makes me better in a lot of different ways. So I know I'm boosting up his ego right here, which isn't a good thing. You're going to make me get up and give you a hug. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. I do. I love him dearly, and I'm very grateful for Mike Felice. That says it. I'm very grateful that he came in on episode nine, and that's the picture you see up there. So, you, know, you know, too, Kevin, and being grateful just for the Suffering Podcast. Of course. You know, I mean, every time someone says, oh, I love your podcast, and they always say, you help so many people. Yeah. That, to me is why we do this. You know, when they say it helps a lot of people, it, it almost brings a tear to my eye. See, I mean, we have what? 10,300 subscribers now or something like Hopefully that. It'll be more by the time this airs. <laughs> and, and, and counting and counting. It, it just amazes me that 10,000 people want to see us <laughs> or listen. I said, thank I, I posted something on Instagram the other day. I said, you know, thank God they tune in to listen to the, the uh our guests because i know they're not tuning in to listen to us <laughs> nah for sure it is listen as a fan i can say it, yeah. it's for the whole thing yeah you know it's it's a way of interacting with people our trauma has gives us perspective but other people's trauma is sort of you know it gets us out of ourselves and that's what the show does it gets you out of your own little closet and the world's a the world's a pretty broad place 
for so sure. You gotta, so anyway, Barnabas, thank you so much. You made me fucking to thank this guy. But no, I thank you. After I pissed you off at 20 minutes ago. <laughs> thank you so much. You know, you almost blew that answer, by the way. Thank you so much for sending that in. Keep sending in your questions. We will try to get them on the air. So Tom, you know, this I went over it before. The strangest, most fortuitous meeting that I've ever had in my life. But again, you're always where you're supposed to be. You're yeah. always in the right place at the right time. We happen to be walking across each other in New York City amongst 10 million people, and somehow you recognize me, which is the whole reason I wear my glasses in public. So. I tell other people that very story. I said, you're never going to believe this. <laughs> and and we're literally in the busiest heart yeah. of Manhattan. Yeah. Just came out of Penn Station, and you know the the, the crowds of people, when they walk together, it was there was just a gap because you could have walked right we could have walked right past each other if there was people there there was a little gap i looked up and there i see him and we're in new york city and i we looked eyes and we're cops so we're on the defensive <laughs> who's this guy what's his angle and and i introduced myself and everything de-escalated from there and and to be honest with you um you know my involvement that cemented it for me that told me uh you know as well as things that happened afterward um, this is, this is what I'm supposed to do. My suffering is for a reason. Of course it is. Yeah. It sucks. I mean, it sucks. I mean, your suffering isn't only for yourself. It's for other people. Yep. If you could articulate your suffering. Yep. You know, if you could tell what you went through, you're not the only one going through it. I, if your story helps someone else, that's what it's all about. We've had people in here that couldn't articulate their suffering very well. Mm -hmm. And we, we, we had to help them along to get it out of them. <laughs> Um, but once they got it out, they're like a changed person. We just, we just had one of these not that long ago. Yeah. We here, it was, it was like pulling teeth, but as soon as it, it was over, it, it was emotional throw up. Yeah. Catharsis. It was great. It was great. But then we had Amanda Coleman who's suffering kept going. <laughs> oh yeah. It's, it's like tumbling down a mountain that never stops. <laughs> she, she was the second, uh, viewing right after Mike De Palma. I watched the episodes back to back. It was Mike De Palma. And then Amanda Coleman was the very next episode I watched. And uh, in, in full honesty, being an Irishman, her bro, her, uh, brogue, her brogue is like a siren song to me. Her Look, voice Kevin, Kevin is says it all so time. beautiful. She, she could talk him to sleep. Uh, you know, she could read bedtime stories and I just think, <laughs> oh, okay. Cause yeah, but she's, she's and a what, kind woman. What a Absolutely. wonderful, wonderful person she is. And I what mean, a, what a great supporter for our show. She, she shares our stuff on yeah. social media, puts it up on her stories with all of her following. And she is like a, a, a celebrity in in the United States amongst law enforcement. She's a savior. Absolutely. And Absolutely. And because of her, I mean, this is, this again, points out that you're where you're supposed to be. Because of her, I reconnected with a guy I went to high school with who has been, who has been so helpful in getting people who reach out to me into treatment, into real treatment. Yeah. They, you know, I, I just, I'm grateful for every relationship. Um, but some of them, you know, you're like, wow, I, this is not by chance. Just like this. Just like this. It, it was, uh, uh, I got a, in full disclosure, I, my heart skipped a beat when she followed me back. I yeah. said, listen, I'm on the pathway. <laughs> I, got, I got Amanda Coleman and the Blue Irish Angel following yeah, yeah, this guy. I'm a nobody. Yeah, right? that's, that's the way we, we think of ourselves. We're, we're nobody. We just, we like talking to people. That's about it. Same, we're we're same. nobody. We just have a stage to get our voice out there. Yeah. A yeah. A we're, yeah. We got a platform. I mean, we're, we're nobody. 
I'm I'm a nobody too. And it's it's great to be in, in your company and to be a cog in the wheel. Right? Well, you know, that's that's the true journey of a hero. An ordinary person put into in extraordinary circumstances. So before we get into your extraordinary circumstance, yeah. why don't you tell everybody a little bit about yourself? They see you on your Instagram lives. They see you comment on our posts. Tell our audience who Tom Flynn is. I'm just a, uh, an average kid um, from Nutley, New Jersey. And uh, I grew up and uh, I'm a Catholic school kid. And he knows my drill instructor who also lives in Nutley. Absolutely. Scariest individual on the planet. Yeah. And and we rode together a couple times. Yeah. So. Oh uh, God, what was that like? Great, oh my God, great guy. <laughs> I can't. I can't imagine what that was like. It scared the shit out of me. Well, uh, you weren't you weren't changing the radio station. I can tell you that. <laughs> and uh, you know you weren't, he, you weren't touching any of the knobs. You nah. weren't turning up the air conditioner, turning down the oh, heat, nothing like that. What a great drill! Absolutely. What a great man! And I, I'm thankful to him for teaching me the way he did. Uh, an excellent firearms instructor, yes. by the way, and a family man. Uh, and an unbelievable. Family. Well, I, last time I saw him, he was a little out of shape. But when he was when he was drill, yeah, man, he was in shape. He was in shape. So you grew up in Nutley Catholic High School. What high school? Queen of Peace High School in North Arlington. North Arlington. There you go. So yeah, I went uh, to Queen of Peace Grammar School. I didn't go to Queen of Peace High School, but and it, it was difficult because. Uh, you Which know, is we, no longer in existence, Queen Peace High School. Just just recently, it closed up, sadly. Yep. Um, so I had the Catholic upbringing, uh, discipline. We had Christian brothers and nuns who were like kind of the uh, the mafioso of, of, <laughs> of the Catholic Church. They're the enforcers. So, uh, now, this is back in like line. the 80s when, when they had the rulers and all that stuff. Early and, 80s in grammar uh, school. Uh, I got to tell you, uh, uh, you know, for whatever measure of a man I am, uh, it made me a better one having that discipline. Um, so I grew up and I remember on career day, our, our football star, football hero came back to high school and he's the one that planted the seed. He, he never knows this. He'll never know the impact he had upon me. And he's a Jersey state trooper and the New Jersey state police, their uniform, their presence, their mindset. And I talk about that a lot. It was like, he was a, with a queen of peace high school guy. Yeah. He was our, he was our quarterback. We'll talk later. I probably know. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And came back and all of a sudden I said, wow. I was like, he's a hero. And then all of a sudden from there, um, I, I became a private investigator for six years doing surveillance. Do you uh, have to grow the mustache and wear the Hawaiian shirts? Not like the Rockford files, right? Oh, okay. Well, even better. Jim Rockford was pretty good. Yeah. The glasses with the nose and a mustache. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'll tell you, so, uh, you know, I started out doing uh, matrimonial insurance work, surveillance, and it sounds a lot more cloak and dagger. It's, it sounds like, ooh, you know, uh, you're, sit you're sitting in a car. There's not a bathroom. Now I feel bad for busting P.I.'s balls every yeah. once in a while yeah. i did that i don't know if you ever did that they would time. they would sit at a cop's house like because if a cop was going out on injury they they would try to watch him yeah. and we knew it yeah. and he like they're all kids they're all very young kids and they're sitting there and they got blankets covering this stuff i pulled a guy out i'm like jesus christ there's a bus stop right there what are you perverted little son of a bitch you yeah. doing and you see him just start getting really really nervous and we knew what he was doing yep yeah so I had that too, you know, yeah. but you know, it, it, if a guy that's good at his trade, you go to the PD and you check yeah. in, you give mm. your plate and you give your DL and yeah. say, listen, I'm, I'm doing a surveillance here. But none of you're doing surveillance on a cop. No, I passed <laughs> up those jobs. Yeah, I, yeah. I actually, I actually Absolutely. had um, law enforcement executives um, that I was tasked surveillance and I asked them, please assign this to somebody else. So anyway, um, getting back to the law enforcement inspiration, it put the bug in my ear and I said, I want to do the noble cause. I want to be the superhero. Like you want to be 
Uh, you want to be that guy that somebody turns to when they don't know where else to go. To help the weak, to be uh, caring, and then fierce against the bully. And I said, that's, that's what I want to be. And uh, I did it. Uh, I started as a civilian dispatcher um, in my agency. And within six months, uh, there was a test available. I took it out of uh, 834 applicants. I was the highest scoring non-resident. Oh, really? Yeah. That's cool. And uh, they Did you go to NATO's prep classes and all that stuff every, back in the day? Every yeah. single one of them. Camp did, uh, Captain Dan Del Bagno. Del Bagno. Yeah, uh, Princeton. Princeton Learning Princeton Center or whatever it was. Educational yeah. Center or something. Yep. Last Went I heard, to... there's hundreds of them out there now. Yeah, there are. Because there's money in it. Yeah. And the promotional as well. Well, yeah, the, the promotion. Del Bagno was like the only guy back in back in the day. Yes, absolutely. You know, and he, he took every single test. He didn't pass one up. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But this one was a special opportunity. And uh, when I went through the whole thing, the chief called. I was working the desk as a dispatcher. And the call came down. The chief wants to say it. So, oh, my God. <laughs> Holy jeez. What did I do? When they called us down, they said the chief wants to see us. We used to say, do we have to bring up tea or do we have to bring up our attorney? They said, okay, bring up tea. Okay, good. I'm good. That sets the tone of the meeting. And he gave me a, a choice. And, and living in Nutley, he goes, listen, I got a call from the chief in Nutley. He wants to hire you. And a lifelong dream being a police officer in your own town. We want to hire you, too. What do you want to do? Wow. Not a bad option to have. Not bad, but looking backward, I'm like, that's eh, a little unfair to make me have me make a decision on the spot because I felt if I said, "Hey, chief, let me sleep on it," never mind. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you don't pull the rug right out from under you. Nah, disregard. You can go to Nutley. So I said, uh, you know, my work ethic here, chief. I thank you very much for the opportunity. And then uh, I, I worked for that law enforcement agency. Um, went through the academy. One of the the awards we talk about awards like cops. We don't. We don't like to talk about our own awards, right? There's only one that really stands out for me. And in the Academy, um, I got the Merit Award. I was going to say the Merit Award is the best award you can get yeah. in the Academy. I was so humbled. Um, I didn't get, you know, Top Gun. I, I was an academic. I stuck my, my nose in the books. But when I got that Merit Award, it's, it's, it's everybody, you know, and for people that aren't familiar, it's everybody in the class say you are the future of professional law enforcement and if i had to pick a partner out of anybody in this yeah. class they picked tom flynn a nobody <laughs> a nobody from nutley nobody yeah. would want to sit in the car with me after what they went through in the academy yeah. i had a little stomach issues in the academy <laughs> so yeah <laughs> nobody's picking me for the marital work like yeah donaldson was good but man i ain't sitting in the car with him yeah. man he's got some stank ass. oh it's bad <laughs> it's bad but now the noble profession that you are now immersed in was it what you envisioned because there's there's a lot of you know you, you have these big dreams and then reality hits yeah. Was that for you? yeah i mean you have the tv version of it which we all watched back in the day you know and for sure I dove in head first. I was, I was big on the badge. I mean, I was all about it. I learned, um, every 2C, every Title 39 code. I learned our contract up and down. Um, I was on our, uh, bargaining committee. And sometimes when you take the extra effort to learn, your achievements can some be, sometimes be misinterpreted as arrogance. Yeah. You know, I had a very good sergeant who, who, Gave me two books. He gave me gave me the law enforcement handbook, and he also gave me our contract. And he said, "Learn both of them." I, I have a story about the law enforcement handbook. I knew it so well when I went to Larry Holtz's courses. They said, "Hey, Tom, is is Larry Holtz going to be your your godfather, your first <laughs> child?" 
because <laughs> I was enthralled with his instructional style yeah. and everything else. And I, I was all about it, man. Yeah, but and that contract is just equally as important. I knew chapter, verse, clause. And, and when you, you recite that sometimes, when somebody says something and you gently correct them. Um, you want to say, uh, uh, no, no, according to this, 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 it is. Well, like most, you said, it, it could come across as arrogance. I could see that too. But the most you know, powerful yeah. weapon is, is your brain. Is your brain. Absolutely. It's, you know, yeah. guns are an equalizer, but it's your brain. Yeah. Well, yeah. To a cop, the most powerful weapon is the pen. Yeah. Well, that too. But <laughs> you be, you have now become a dangerous cop. Yeah. Especially yeah. to a threatened administrator. Yep. And, and there's this power struggle sometimes between rank and file management and the union. And, uh, I tried to strike that balance. And, um, at the time entering, this is, this is sort of a subnote. Uh, the agency I worked for at the time had suffered a string of law enforcement on duty suicides. At one point, our agency had the highest ratio of officer suicides and them on duty. What was the wow. reason for that? Um, they vary. I mean, it's all the demons of law enforcement. It's, it's the things. But so concentrated? Yeah, within a short string. When I came on as a civilian, you know, there's that line between civilian and yeah. police. And, you know, you got civilians behind a desk. They got to earn your trust for a good reason. And, and I got on there, and they were still mourning a loss of a recent on-duty suicide. Um, two years in, I'm a rookie cop. Uh, I'm working a side job. We had a, a festival in town, so roads get closed. People get angry directing traffic and we get a call everybody 88 which means come into headquarters that was our code 88 everybody i was like we're gonna let it have people mm -hmm. we're gonna let the cars go through uh as it turned out in a neighboring jurisdiction uh, a lieutenant from my agency had uh a domestic issue had chased his spouse around the house with the firearm cornered her in a closet and put one in her head and then put one in himself. That happened to somebody in my local, that, that same scenario. So I, I, I started to think, wait, wait a second. Yeah, what am <laughs> I getting into? What did I, you know, yeah. am I out of a frying pan into the fire? Maybe I should go back to surveillance. <laughs> but, but now you, you're starting to dissect your own brain. Like, what did I step into? What, what, why is this happening? Yeah. Were you married at the time? No. You, so you were a cop and then got married. Yeah, that was my first one. <laughs> <laughs> You're not a real cop unless you get married twice. Yeah. Um, and it did have a factor. That's what, So you got divorced. You got married and then divorced? The first uh, first wife, lovely. Well, I was in love. Uh, we, we had been friends, dated for, known each other for 16 years and, and got married. I was new on the job. And the joke is uh, the first Flynn marriage lasted slightly longer than the cocktail hour. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh it was it happened to be a uh a scheduling thing so you know you're a rookie he's like uh you know remember we used to go up to the weekend every time a cousins you know yeah. we got a wedding it's like i i, I, I can't I, get off i, I yeah. can't get, well just have somebody work for you just put in for vacate no you, you don't understand it doesn't work that way it doesn't work that way i gotta go and a lot of our relationships based on social outings and I can tell you, um, we divorced amicably. I did it pro se, wrote up all the paperwork. $385 or something like that. You got it. 399 I think it is on, the, well, it on, was, on at, those billboards. But. At the time, it was, there was, there used to be three, uh, 385. Now it's like 425. Yep. Or 495 or something like yeah, that. Yeah. There's a fuel surcharge for some reason. I didn't figure it out. <laughs> uh, but yeah, and we did it, you know, kind of spit in the hand. We, we hugged each other, went our separate ways. No children, no assets. And it was really, uh, really clean. Uh, the way to go. 
Um, so I advanced in my career. Um, I was one of the first in my class to get promoted to sergeant um, among some very tough candidates uh, and then eventually uh, promoted to the rank of lieutenant. Had a lot of specialized assignments. I, I was a, a field training officer. I ran the field training program. Uh, I was assigned as accreditation manager for law enforcement accreditation and excellence. Kalia. Uh, this one was uh, state chiefs. We started out with Kalia, yeah. uh, with the the numerous standards, and then we went back to uh, the state chiefs. So you know, I, I was also on the SWAT team. I, you know, it, the camera may not show it. <laughs> uh, again, mindset. You know, I, I I was in better shape then, but it was one of the best times I had. The training. Um, we had call outs. We had active incidents. Well, was it your 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 dissolution of your marriage made yeah. you focus more on your job? Is that what happened? I think I was always driven towards the job, and uh, it's a fickle it's a fickle beast. Yeah. Uh, I, I would change priorities if I had to do it all over again. I I, I might have changed my priorities. I wouldn't mind being a patrolman. But like and, I said, you were young in your career, right? yeah. and you know, you, you're. I don't want to say your marriage was based on social activities, but. You can't get off. And if you don't have a, a, a partner that doesn't understand law enforcement, you know. Yeah. But as smart as you are, yeah. what the hell? You 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 lost once and then you rolled the dice again. Yeah. What the hell? You're supposed to be a smart guy. Yeah. Well, uh, contrary to that, I guess uh, I was struck by Cupid's arrow. Yeah. Oh, uh, boy. My, my, uh, <laughs> my uh, second wife was involved in EMS. And this is understood the schedule. And, and this is not your uh, lady in the tramp sort of rolling the meatball over in the Disney movie with the, the piece of spaghetti. Uh, we met over a sick prisoner. <laughs> okay. I was going to say on like a DOA or something. <laughs> very close, very close. And, um, she was, uh, she was beautiful. She stole my heart, uh, initially. And the more we got to know each other, um, it, it just carried forward. She had a great sense of the job, knowing it, the rigors. Life, death, um, death scenes, suicides, and I've had I've had a bunch shifts. of shifts. I've had a bunch of critical incidents, um, and then uh, we got married, and a year later we had our first child, uh, Grace, and then um, a year later, Faith Erin came into the world. So you got Grace and Faith, and Rose, and Rose. I have Jeez. Grace, Grace Marie Flynn. Well, Rose is the carryover from your Irish. Days. Rose yeah. Ireland Flynn. Oh my dear lord! <laughs> she, she sneezes and clover comes out. <laughs> I was going to say. I was just going to say you. You yeah. must shit clover leaves or something. Yeah, yeah. So, how long? You you obviously fell into this family role. You had kids very quick. Were they Irish twins? No, no. But no? that's a great term. I, I I wasn't even familiar with it till somebody told me. About oh really? It. They, they were in a year apart. Yeah, a little more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And, and, you know, for the record, as if uh, anyone wants to criticize me as a husband, I would say my batting average for getting the baby was very high. <laughs> oh, you just got to lift the legs up. One, one shot, one try, and, and the, 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 Flynn, the Flynn guy <laughs> put the baby in there. <laughs> so, so you got laid three times in your marriage and you had kids three times. That's pretty much it. <laughs> now, being... being A-Rod a wish he had a batting average like Tom Flynn. <laughs> Did you ever want to try to go for the fourth and try to get your boy? Because every man wants their boy. I, you know, it's not that you love your daughters any less. Yeah. The only thing I really wanted is out of selfishness, I want the Flynn name to carry on. You know, I, Irish, Irishmen just have a deep-rooted tradition in sort of carrying it on. But I will tell you something. My color palette 
is pink and purple. Yeah. If I had a boy, I would stare at him like a Rubik's cube. I was like, I don't know, cuz I don't know what to do. All <laughs> See, I'm the, girls. I'm the absolute reverse. Yeah. I'm the but again, you know, you you just said something that hit home to me. So, you know, I'm Kevin Patrick, my son's Patrick Kevin. Mm-hmm. My youngest one is James Alexander the 5th. So, they're 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 legacies. I'm, and I, a, I'm a junior. And and I tell him too. I said this is this is something that nobody else can take away from you. This belongs to you. Yeah. You make it what you want to make it. And uh, hopefully they do. But, you know. They're, See, they're I, I always said I had a boy and a girl. It's like M&M's. One went nuts, one went out. And that's it. <laughs> my, bar- my, my barber used to say something. This is, you know, Italian barber and, and not legals. Tom, you're a buttonhole maker. You're a buttonhole maker. You don't know how to put the stem on the apple. All right. <laughs> yeah, you're correct. But I couldn't be happier. And so, as you see, I wear this on my on my neck. Yeah. This is absolutely this this it, it's uh, it's a dog tag, and um, it's on my it's on my social media, and I can read it verbatim. I don't even have to look at it. And it says, three little girls stole my heart. They call me daddy, and it's got my daughter's name on it: Grace, Faith, and Rose. And I'm a soldier in in a battle right now. But, yeah, but I'm 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 for them. Well, when did your marriage start falling apart? There was, um, oddly enough, you know that there, there the other there's two sides of the story, right? Sure. So I'm only telling you my viewpoint. There's um, there's three sides to every story. Yeah, that were, side, this side, and the truth. Yeah, and and I can tell you as a husband, um, when I became a father, um, I, I definitely became less attentive to my wife. Um, they really, I mean, it's almost, it's almost the same thing when I became a cop. When I became a father, I'm telling you, man. Because your responsibility level just hit the roof. And you, you're responsible for these three human lives to make sure that they move forward in life. And I'm an only child. Yeah. And now they have siblings. And uh, I'm also a, a product of divorce. So my parents were divorced when I was five years old. Um, but I had these daughters and I said, no way, man. I am a family man. You are never going to see the side of divorce. And then God's plan kicked in. <laughs> <laughs> well, so how far were you into your career when your marriage started heading down a bad way? My, um, my wife's father came down with an illness. Uh, so my father-in-law, they're Italian. And uh, it was a mystery at first. And, and I, I really do, uh, with all my heart, I love this man. And it was a liver illness. And uh, at one point, I told my wife, I said, out of your family members, I said, I'm a match for your father. I'll donate my liver to him because I can go out on uh, family leave and we won't lose money. Now, you insert joke here. Is an Irishman donating his liver like giving a lemon? Right? You know, at the time, I'm 50, but this liver is like an 89-year-old woman's. So it's like it's easy to say it's a hollow offer, an Irishman offering his liver. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but no I was, kidding. I God is my witness. I was willing to do it. Um, it never came to fruition. And within like six months, uh, he passed. And she had a, a marked change in personality. It was just like a light switch went off. Believe me, I know. Yeah. You know, I've seen that. I've seen that a couple times. I worked with a guy and loved his wife. You know, they were a good couple. You don't know what happened behind closed doors. Yeah. But her father dies. Same thing. She goes off the rails. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Happens all too often. And, and you know, to what degree it played a, a, a part in, in my circumstance, I feel it did. Um, and then... And then the incident, 
the that incident. Happened. So walk us through the, dun, 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 the dun. incident because the reason I the reason I named this episode the suffering of a domestic because it seems like that's the stem of stuff start heading down. Yeah, it 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 it, it precipitated events that that grew like a cancer uh, on the family. And March twenty eighth, two thousand nineteen, we had a uh, verbal argument, and the children were there involved. Um, and it resulted in a 911 call to the local PD from someone who heard it. My, my wife called. Oh, she called. Uh, she dialed 911. And, and she knows exactly what that'll exactly. do to you. And yeah. like, I, I couldn't believe it was happening at the time. And I told her, I said, you know, I, I don't, I don't know if you know what you did or you don't know, but it's like, I immediately now have to go wait outside. I don't know if we'll ever have a chance to really talk again. And uh, I have the 911 tapes as a result and the recordings, and, and I wait outside. And, and you know, like, when you re- if you responded, when you're going to somebody who's on the job, um, here, here's a, an academy story. Like, how many gun jobs does a, does a cop go on? Every call Every is a call. gun yep. job because you, you have you one have a gun and you can be disarmed. Yep. But now you have a member of service, a law enforcement officer, and you know it attracts uh, a bigger response, a enhanced response. You know the consequences. What's going? You know the possible consequences going afterward, where the average layperson will not know that you you can be arrested. You could you know the, the yeah. domestic paperwork, vine paper, vine form, all that stuff is going to happen. Yeah. You know, because I can't tell you my wife has never called the cops on me because that's not the truth. Mm-hmm. When I was, after my shooting, she called a several, couple times. And I knew they were coming to pick me up. So what did I do? I waited out on the bed of my truck with a bunch of liquor and drank it. And as they're waiting for other responding officers, I'm like, hang on, I'll go with you in a minute. Let me, let me finish. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, ar- the arrogance, because you know what's coming. Yeah. And, and you got a, a big brass response too. <laughs> you know, you got all the, the supervisors are going to come if it's a cop that was, was it in the town that you worked in or you were in Nutley and this was, it, your I, monk, but it they was, knew you were on the job. Yeah. You know, uh, cause she said it. Yeah. She said so it. My husband's a cop and he, and, la, la, la. and I, and I, oh. uh, yeah. Yeah. And I said, oh, here we go. And, and I know like responding. And when you go to on-duty incidents, uh, I think it's it's respectful. Uh, if you know there's going to be a boss, there's going to be a cop, you behave. You you mind your manners. Listen, if you were having a drink, that's the worst thing. Like, I mean, you get you get some calls you go on, and there's guys on the job, and and they're not not behaving. I felt it was a duty. Listen, be calm, be respectful, be out there. Tell them where your service weapon is. Don't give anybody a reason to be uncomfortable. At one point, they said uh, they they asked for a boss. Then they ask for another boss. So here comes the lieutenant, the next next layer. And so I said the brass response. Absolutely. You hit the nail on the head. And this is is where I I feel there was a little fault procedurally. And I'm not, listen, I will never bash my own brothers in blue. Um, but they said, um, well, he said it's a verbal. It's 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 not a domestic. There's there's no predicate offense. Ask her if she wants a TRO because mm-hmm. he's on the job. And if she says yes, we'll make it a domestic. Those are the words exactly. Wow. Wow. And that. Good dis- job protecting your brother there. Not yeah. you, the other one. And, you know, it, it, some of us are our own worst enemies. Yep. Let's, let's be very clear. We're yep. our own worst enemies. However, 
because I, I, I ran into this a lot. You know how much domestic paperwork I've done on verbal arguments? Look, and I would say, this isn't a domestic. It's a verbal yeah, argument. Exactly. Yeah. I said, if there, was a, if there was a police response every time I had an argument with my wife, there'd be a substation in my garage. Absolutely. Yeah. And then this, that was the turning point. That, that was the pivotal change in the life of the family, my life, and as it is today. And this is where the shield became the spear, the domestic uh, violence incident. Now, in your head, before you go any further, yeah. in your head, your wife just called the cops on you for something that you don't see. You never touched her. You were correct. You never touched her. There was correct. no physical anything. She calls the cops. Now, in your mind... Especially, try to think back to that night mm -hmm. or day, whatever it was. Are you done with her? No. Yeah. No. Um, and, you know, as being on the job, we're critical, right? So you get the, we know it, being on the job. There's the Friday TRO, and here's the Monday makeup and the dismissal. Yeah. You get the career domestics, and they come in. And I'd, I'd say, like, why would you do that? How, how many TROs do you get on a Friday? And you're locking the guy up on Sunday because he violated the TRO just to go back and see, you know, because they wanted to make up again. Yeah. But, yeah. Know, and they couldn't get it dismissed until a Monday. So here, here's, here was my theory with TROs and see if this rings true with either of you. If I walked into that house yeah. and the woman said, I don't want a TRO, chances are she needs a TRO. It's the ones you walk into the first time and say, I want a TRO. Those are the ones who really don't need one. Yep. I mean, that, that's my theory. I don't think that's 100% correct, but that's my theory. I think it's a good categorization. I think it's yeah. a characterization, rather, uh, yeah. uh, of the ones that are really uh, muscling the system. Yeah. Because they know how damaging it could be to a cop's career. Yeah. All right. Like you said, if the cop walks in and all of a sudden she says, I want a TRO, Let without explaining what happened first, you know, because they know how damaging it could be. Now, did they lock you up that night or just tell you to leave the residence? They, they didn't. Um, there was no arrest. There was no criminal charges. Um, when I found out the TRO was being issued, I was sitting on the couch and the, 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 my three girls were nearby. And uh, this is a poignant uh, point in the story for me emotionally because it takes me back like I was there sitting right here. I can see it clear as day. Um, they said, is there some place you can go? I'm like, why? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, first. And then while well, she wants it, TRO. And I was, tr I was being a gentleman with, and they were with me, you know, otherwise from that decision, they, 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 they did a good job. We were very respectful of each other. And I said, listen, I said, can I, uh, can I say goodbye? And, uh, I remember because I got the body cam footage and I can still hear my girls screaming. No, daddy, don't go. We love you, daddy. Don't go. And I said, uh, it's okay, sweetie. I said, you know, mommy got us in a little bit of trouble, but I'll be back. They were screaming, crying. And uh, they almost had to tear them away from me because they were clutching me so hard. And I, and I went down to the PD, um, did a consent to search. Um, I had inherited my home from my father. My father was a research and development chemist for Hoffman LaRoche. Invented Valium. Really? <laughs> He, he was on the research team. So your father made a lot of people happy. <laughs> I, I, I actually, uh, I brought the book. He's published in the book, uh, that lead scientist. Uh, so if you take a volume, thanks, dad. Yeah. And he always told me, he's like, listen, I never saw a penny of that. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he didn't. 
and but diazepines, uh, benzodiazepines, benzos as they're called, uh, very instrumental in mental health. Um, clonopin, people get clonopin. You know, I'm not saying you should be on it for life. Um, <laughs> I know that. Yeah. But he, he, someone went on for too long. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> someone know. used to like to drink on Klonopin. Uh, alcohol and benzos is bad. Yeah. Synergistic effect. Bad, but it's cheap. Yep. It's a cheap, you're cheap, cheap, you're cheap drunk. <laughs> cheap but, date. But it could kill you. My father told me that. He's like, listen, he goes, you know, they give Valium a bad name, but every time they find somebody that overdoses, it's, um, they were doing lines of blow all night. They have a quart of vodka in them. They've been drinking all day long, but they're saying it's the Valium that killed yeah. them. Because they got the deepest pockets to sue. Yeah. My father would draw benzene rings as a child and show me what he created in a laboratory. He also created a drug called Versed. Versed, if you go to the dentist and, and you get put under sedation, Versed is the drug they give you. And they give it to combat uh, military so they have retroactive amnesia so they don't remember the trauma of the explosion. Wow. Wow. That's, that's pretty cool. That's so, pretty cool. But- it's a shame he didn't have a hand in that Viagra stuff because that's wonderful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I heard. Yeah, uh, he, he wanted to go into Viagra, but it was too hard. That's a good one. But I'm pumped. So where did you go? <laughs> so um, I left and I lived in a hotel for a month. Um, I, I I had a close friend of mine who was my uh, academy mate, my best friend. My brother, just a very similar relationship to you and Mike, which is also another casualty in my divorce. Oh, yeah. You always lose people in the divorce. My best friend in the whole world. I called him my brother. We uh, Godfather to each other's children. Um, so I called him. I told him what was going on. He, he also went through rehab. I took him, picked him up from rehab, you know, uh, and he's, he's state state trooper, oddly enough. So we came on in our jurisdiction. He left. I cried. I actually, a grown man cried when my, my brother was going to the state police and we weren't going to work together. So I go to the hotel and I'm living there waiting for the hearing. Uh, I'm having microwave dinners, yeah. not able to talk to my girls every single night from the day they were born. I was in the delivery room too. Uh, when they, they, they cut my wife open C-sections. I'm looking at them. Oh, you're doing a wonderful job. I'm looking. There's your bladder. There's another piece of thing. Like me going to an autopsy. I was like, it, 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 it's a deer gutting over here. Yeah, it's no kidding. But I said, oh, you're doing beautifully, honey. It's so sweet. And I'm looking. Oh, my God, the carnage over here. I will say the hardest thing about a C-section, because I watched it, is looking at that placenta. And I'm going to gross everybody out here, but it <laughs> looks like a veiny London broil. Yeah, I was almost going to say like a liver, almost a yeah, little bit. Oh, but God. Yeah. It's bad. It's bad. I remember my girls coming out, my first daughter, They she sang. You know how most they have the shriek? My first girl, Grace, she came out, la, la, singing. <laughs> like I remember angel. my boy coming out, and, and you notice their balls swell. <laughs> they do. Their, their yeah. boys, the balls swell, and I'm like, that ain't my kid. That ain't my goddamn baby. <laughs> pull, pull DNA, dog. Get yeah. the Irish. Jesus, look at those things, man. He's, he's carrying some tennis balls in there. <laughs> my ex gave birth naturally to both of them, so I never actually had the C-section C stuff. So Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's something else. But, you know, the, the funny thing is, is after the baby comes out, you have to follow the baby. Mm -hmm. It's like, my, and, and to, this, was, this was wrong. My wife was now persona non grata. It's 
I just go, oh, hey, I'll see you later. Hey, they're going to have fun sewing you back up. Yeah. That's Here's some I, ice. Yeah. <laughs> it's not an easy recovery. No, either. I know. It's a tough no, no. one. Yeah. It's yeah. tough. So you're, you're living in a hotel eating microwave dinners. Yeah. Can't see your kids, which has got to be the worst thing in the world. Um, now, you couldn't. Were you put what we call in a rubber gun squad? Were you allowed to go back to work, desk duty or anything like that? Uh, administrative leave. Yeah. So that so this uh, duty weapon was, was, seized was seized and administrative leave. But at least on the bright side, I was being paid. Um, worked it out, went to the uh, TRO hearing, which is now TRO going for an FRO. I was expecting there was going to be a dismissal and now we can talk. We can move our way forward. Um, and she's like, nope, <laughs> I'm going for the hearing. So I had to have a full-blown trial. The for, the, for the FRO, for, for the, the final FRO. restraining order. Yeah. So now they're just going for an FRO and, and she get on the stand and there was these, these tales of things of, of, of what she was trying to, to portray me as. And I said, this is just, this is fiction. They're like what happened? This is pure fiction. Where was I when that happened? Yeah. You know? yeah. And, uh, you know, it was about as bad as you get. I mean, I was, I was demonized, uh, but I prevailed and the TRO was dismissed. And I said, listen, I, I, I tried to be so good about it. I said, she doesn't have to get right out of the house because now she's living in my, my father's house, mm. my, my family residence. So she doesn't have to leave right away. It's like, we'll work things out. I'll go back. Um, turns out, scooped up the children, left, went to my mother-in-law's home, uh, took a lot of belongings out of the house. And I went, I went back to a, to an empty home. Um, and then just, re she refused to provide the children. To, to see me, to talk to me. There's no TRO now. There's no impediment. So we had to do an order to show cause, which is an emergent hearing, um, to get in front of a judge to say, I want to, I got to see my children. And, um, and that's got to be tough too, because if you contacted her, she just get another TRO against you. Oh yeah. He called me and threatened me. I didn't even go back to get my personal yeah. belong. You know how you can go back, you know, with an accompaniment with yeah. a, a law enforcement officer to keep, keep the peace. I thought, I'm not even touching it. I'm not going there. I want this to go right. And prevailing on, on a TRO hearing is, is no small feat. Was it what county? Essex? Essex. Essex. Really? See, I'm surprised they, they even entertained this in Essex. Yeah. Years ago, Morris was the tough one. Mm -hmm. And then Essex was a little bit easier because they saw so much. Yeah. I'm, I'm very surprised about that. What year is this? This is 2019. Oh, okay. So, no. Okay. That makes perfect sense because mm -hmm. those, those two counties have now flip-flopped from what I understand. Yep. Yeah, you got it right. Yeah. Uh, but Essex and Camden County still have the most numbers. I follow the stats now because of my position. Yeah. <laughs> now it's uh, April 26th. Um, as you know, I had said that there were firearms seized from the home. Uh, my father being a chemist, of course, he's, he's a hunter, right? Because chemists are hunter. <laughs> you know? what, a great, what a great man. Uh, he, he didn't make value. meth, did he? No. Take value in the I saw shooting. that TV show. No. But you know what he would make? He would make silver. He would crystallize silver and he would bring it home in a, in a little jar. And he goes, watch this. He goes on the string, goes in a week, we're going to have silver. And it was a little jar I would sit there and sure shit. Yeah. We, at the end, we took it out and he would bring home, uh, you know, the chemicals that are in nightsticks. Mm -hmm. He would bring them home because he could make them in the lab and we would make like homemade uh, nightsticks and, oh, and all cool. sorts oh, of That's crazy. He'd make wine. Your dad was like Mr. Wizard. <laughs> and, and I brought that to the children. I, that's one thing I, I took from him. Um, you know, dry ice experiments, all that stuff with the girls. Loved it. Yeah. And I taught my oldest daughter archery. So we were doing archery. She took to it like a champ. But um, 
So now it's April 26th. I'm waiting for the children. I said, ah, you know what? We finally got them. She's going to bring the girls over. I'm going to see them. Uh, I got to get some mac and cheese for my girls. Let me go to, let me go to the store. I get in the car, start it up. I put it in reverse. Three, four, five unmarked police cars come up on the lawn behind me in the driveway, marked Nutley PD. And, you know, being on the job, I said, Oh, I'm going to show my hands. So I'm sitting there in my own driveway. The neighbors are now seeing everything. Um, guy comes up. He goes, you know what we're here for? Well, I really, I don't. It's about the guns. It's like, you have all, you have all my father's guns. I don't have, a, I don't have a firearm to be had. It was, it's about the guns. Uh, as it turns out, the, the two of the firearms that my father had legally purchased at the time, back in the day, um, fell under the New Jersey assault weapons ban. And he also had magazines that were violative of the statute for high capacity magazines. So did every cop driving at one point. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Before they changed the law, they changed every on duty cop to a violator until, until the lawyers and the legislature fixed it. So this will go to speak to the draconian and barbaric gun laws. Um, it didn't even matter if I had went to turn them in. I never knew that they turned into assault weapons. No notice, no nothing. Uh, to, I said, all right, well, this is going to be a summons and release. I like, couldn't, have, couldn't somebody have called, you know, my, my PBA lawyer and I could have came in and turned myself in, arrested, handcuffed, back at a patrol car, brought in there, holding cell with other prisoners, uh, processed. And I was like, all right, it's going to be on a summons. They called the prosecutor's office. They put it on a warrant. Mm. What, what was the meaning behind all this venom? I suspect. Um, because I had, uh, a difference of opinion on some promotional matters where I was, it was my contention. My Lieutenant promotion should have came sooner. Litigation was initiated against the township. Oh, la, 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 la. Okay. So there were some underlying conditions. It all makes Mm -hmm. sense now. Yeah. So I believe, and listen, you know, these are, I don't want to go throwing things. It's an opinion. It's an opinion. Strictly an opinion. Uh, my opinion is that they were using the prosecutor's office like human resources. This is a way we get rid of the problem. Which is, which is a, a it's not uncommon. Mm-hmm. No. It's really not uncommon. I saw it in my department. They used the prosecutor's office as a weapon. They weaponized it. And a very, uh, a very dear friend of mine, all he's guilty of is trying to keep his marriage together. Yeah. He did it a little too long, but at the end, and this will t- this will tell you what kind of relationship it was. He got custody of the children. Yeah, he got custody of the children. Fought tooth and nail, lost his house, lost everything, but at least he had custody of his children. That's hope. Yeah, that's the brass ring, and that's that, that's worth something worth fighting for to the last penny. You're you're, you're looking at the face of hope right yeah. now, the face of suffering and the face of hope at the same time. So well, so here we go. Uh, I'm there. And they're telling me now it's going to be on a warrant. We're taking you to the Essex County Jail. With people that you locked up back in Green the- Street or Doremus? Doremus. Doremus. Oh, that place smells. Uh-huh. I can tell you from personal experience. <laughs> <laughs> I can, you know, what's funny is uh, I, I thought in my head, this is how goofy we are as cops. I'm thinking of the joke I'm going to give at lineup. I was like, is anybody going to do a transport to Doremus? <laughs> <laughs> I know the way. In two different levels. You can give me a ride home. <laughs> yeah. So I'm now there. They got all my personals, belt, laces, everything there. And now they got to call ahead. 
they got to call ahead because they don't want to see a police lieutenant shanked in booking now going down to Doremus. Um, corrections officers helped me. They cleared the room, processed, fingerprinted, booked. And then uh, if you think of Oz, you think of the Shawshank Redemption, you think of every bad prisoner movie you've ever seen. I'm living it. I am a white police lieutenant yeah. going into the Essex County Jail, and they are hurling as I'm, I'm doing the walk. I had the blanket. I had strip searched. Um, it's yeah. always fun when you got to spread your cheeks. Yeah. I did that in rehab. That was I, fun. And th this wasn't even recreationally. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, every, every bad thing you can imagine, I'm walking there and, and I'm getting, and I'm, I'm seeing the look that one guy, before I went in the cell, he looked at me like this and just puts his finger under his, his throat, like slitting my throat. Like that's coming for me. Mm. Um, That'll humble you. Yeah. No kidding. And, and I said, holy God almighty. And I, 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 I prayed, I prayed, um, and what did you pray for? Did you pray for a quick death <laughs> yeah, no or kidding. to get out alive? Yeah. I was, I was thinking like a brain aneurysm right yeah. now would be even welcomed. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I really, I, I said, this is, I can't be, you know, the, the merit award, the Academy, Lieutenant, SWAT and you, team. You can't saving. picture yourself in that position at, at all. I mean, can't and, even fathom it. And now you're walking into the seventh level of hell. And, and I got to tell you, the guys that did the transport, I know they felt bad. Yeah. I, I know how they felt. Um, it doesn't make it any easier. I have, I have some, uh, some views on the prosecutor's office. So there I figure, all right, I'm overnight hearing next day. I'll be out. Nope. Day one, night one, day before, two. Before you go there. Yeah. First time that door closes. I, I ask everybody I've ever spoken to that has been, that has done any sort of time that, because they, they say as soon as that door closes, that's about as rehabilitated as you're going to get. Yeah. Tell me about the first day that door closed. I, I actually, I, I felt almost for a minute that I had a pause. Like, oh, you know, like I was isolated because I was scared. I, w I was scared for my life. I was very active in arrests, uh, drug interdiction, traffic interdiction. I was writing Title 39. I was towing cars. I was locking people up. I was doing the dance. Um, and I was scared. And when they closed the door, I was like, all right, at least I, you know, a little safety right? at we, that point. It really was my first thought, but it was a sense of dread. That sound, that sound that you hear in movies, I heard it. Um, Meet your new cellmate. He's the salad tosser guy. He came back. The guy, <laughs> they actually had to throw the guy out of my cell. And, and he kept coming back and he said, you know, in the vernacular, like, what the fuck you doing here? And I was like, I got to do something a little gangster to kind of get a little bit of street cred here. And I just went like this. I did a little thing with the, which you're not lying. No, yeah. I just didn't wait, you know, the, the gesture with my finger and thumb, like it in a gun. And I was like, uh, you know, you know, maybe that'll give him a little pause. Um, but then one day turned into two two days and uh by the fourth uh third third day fourth day had a hearing and they had to move me for my own safety uh they then transported me to the bergen county jail um and when they transport i went in the van on the chain gang with everybody else 
uh, I'm hearing them. And there was had one uh, segregated cell in the the prisoner transport van, and uh, you know, there, there's most of the guys I was in there with were people of color, and they look at me handcuffed. And the only thing I could say, they're giving me to look sideways and they're thinking, this guy must be Hannibal fucking Lecter. Cyrus the virus. Yeah. That's it's you right there. They they figured this guy must have like, what did he do? <laughs> you know? Uh, but you know, obviously the fact that I was a cop was not coming out. So I went to Bergen um for a total of twelve days in jail as now, a lieutenant. You, I was a lieutenant one day and the next day. I was gonna say prison. you had no what was bail set at? No bail. There was no bail at all. No, no bond. No bail at all. Nothing. I had to do an emergent hearing with them with the bail reform and stuff. They're keeping yeah. you in there. That's just crazy. I thought the same thing. So you you get out finally. Mm-hmm. You taste the freedom, and you know now you're like, oh my god, what do I do now? Electronic monitoring. Oh, you had the ankle, ankle bracelet. bracelet. I had an ankle bracelet. Were you still getting paid? When uh, so for the first couple of months, I was. And then in July, the pay just magically stopped. It, it, it's not in, it's not in, you know, as the accreditation manager, I can tell you, <laughs> you know, the internal affairs guidelines and everything else. I knew what was supposed to happen. Uh, and the administration didn't really follow the script. Um, so I was under electronic monitoring uh, from May until September 25th of 2019. I'm now... Uh, it's like, I still want to see my children. It's all this time. I'm back in the house. Um, I now go before the family court and they say, we're going to order a best interest evaluation, get a shrink involved. Who's going to pay for it? $2,000 a month in what they call pendente lite support, which is pending your divorce that I had to pay my ex $2,000 a month, plus all the expenses, schedule A, B, and C. And I also had to pay for a supervised visitation. Mm. The only way I could oh, see the, them. The guardian ad litem type of thing. Not a guardian ad litem. It was supervised visitation, which means you have to go to a court appointed supervisor that I had to pay 300 something dollars for one hour mm. to see my own children while I had a chaperone in a building. Well, you got an ankle bracelet on. The place was right across the street from police headquarters. Oh my gosh. I, I, I went and there was a, a very lovely woman in pretrial services who handled the, 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 uh, bracelet. And she had a, uh, she was an Islander. She had a, a lovely, like, Islander accent. What are you doing here? <laughs> and I went, you know, where I went to pretrial services, I went in a suit. Cause I'm a cop. Anytime you go before court or anything, like, you should show respect. You put a suit. I get there. There's pimps. There's drug addicts that are sitting in there. I'm looking, I'm like, oh, why'd you wear this? They're looking at me cross-eyed again. I go in there and, and this woman says, why are you wearing a suit, child? And I said, I want to be, re- 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 leave it for court. Yeah. And you, you just come here. And she, she was, was another blessing from God because she says, this is political. There's no reason that I see this is. She's like, she had gangbangers, people, violent crime, because they never put them under. And I was under for six months. I'm driving to the visitation. You have to change the battery. When you go to sleep, if you forget to change the battery, it goes off and the violation is triggered. So you're changing the battery before shower. It's on there. I'm driving to the visitation and the line that I'm on, I was one lane too close to my ex's residence and it went off. 
as a violet, you're in a zone, you're in an exclusion zone, get out. My phone starts ringing and she, where are you? I said, this is where I am. She says, yeah, I see you. Go in the other lane. Now you're good. Wow. That's crazy. I, so, but you have to pick your life back up at some point. Yeah. Your job, what did they do with your job? You just, are you fired or are you let go? What's to date? Suspended I pending termination or suspended without pay. Pending termination is yeah. They're, they're trying to seek yeah. termination, but uh, we 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 see it differently. Yeah, well, of, of course, this is this is your livelihood. Now, and how many years did you have on a job at that point? Twenty three and a half. So you're a year and a half away from. I even told my ex. I said, "This is you know, I'm I'm working jobs. I'm working over and I'm working like a lot of jobs." I said, "We're going to get debt clear, and and we're going to retire so we can have a good life." Yeah. So at some point you you're going through and you're currently going through your legal battles and that's that's going to be a whole other show in itself. Yeah. You decide to get involved with this organization, which is kind of how we met. Yeah, it's called Face Fathers and Children Equality Incorporated. That's correct. Now explain to what they do because I know what they do and they're you know New Jersey is a very it's a state in the union that's very slated against the men in divorce. It's yeah. just the way that it is. And child custody. Yeah. Yeah. And domestic violence. Absolutely. And, and they're all common denominators. And y you guys can probably testify to this. Everybody, everybody that comes in here, and I don't like to put, and I'm sure you don't either, I don't put suffering on a scale. It's, it's personal. It's your own. It's your own. But, absolutely. So I don't, I don't try and say one person's suffering or 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 bad fortune is worse. Watch this some of our back episodes. You'd be like, hey, this guy, this guy got a bad. <laughs> and, and I, it was, uh, I, I had lost all the, I'd ran out of money. Um, the, the, the criminal charges, I'll just let you know. Um, those were dismissed and expunged. Expunged. That's a big one. But I, you did 12 days in jail 12, because of those. Absolutely. And I'll never get them back. No. Right. So I prevailed. The prosecutor's office appealed. Uh, I, I prevailed on a motion to suppress the pro this is goes to show you how that, how they were looking to prosecute. I prevailed on a motion to suppress. They appealed it to the appellate division. I prevailed. The prosecutor's office appealed it to the New Jersey Supreme, Supreme court. court and I prevailed. Wow. And I got it expunged after I did all my paperwork for my own expungement. Dangerous man. Like I said in yeah. the beginning, you're a dangerous man you because fight the of system, because you're, your brain, you know, the law. Yeah. Knowledge is power. Knowledge is a weapon. If you use it properly. I'm a cog in the wheel. I yeah. thank you. You're very, thank you. But uh, no, I mean, it, he's hundred percent correct. You know, you, like you said, I mean, you told us before you knew two C laws, 39 laws, you knew the contract, you know, I mean, you, you did your research, you know, especially, you know, going through the uh, yeah. accreditation and all that. I ran the civilian police academy. I would do search and seizure yeah. uh, training seminars and things like that. So um, now fast forward, the, the criminal is gone, and that's a roller coaster ride. Twenty years in prison, I was oh, I was facing oh, non discretionary. From the judge had zero discretion. Twenty years in prison for your father's guns. For my yeah. father's lawfully purchased and inherited guns. When I first got those firearms, I went down to the PD and I said, listen, you know, my father is a hunter. I got, you know, it's a significant amount. What do I have to do? Well, in New Jersey, as draconian as the gun laws are, inheritance is a voluntary register. 
they gave me a little two-piece carbonless thing that had two lines on it. He said, eh, you could do it if you want, but you don't have to. So I didn't. Yeah. Um, but now, so uh, supervised visitation, tens of thousands of dollars. Uh, my attorney uh, quit because I couldn't pay them anymore. And I still have a bill. Um, I then became my own family lawyer, pro se. Pro se is when you represent yourself. And it's two years now. And it's Christmas Eve. And I haven't seen my children. And I can only tell somebody, you know, when, when parents talk about their kids, I'd kill for my kids. I'd die for my kids. I said it last week, you know, if, if my, my kids, if my kids killed somebody, I'd help them bury the body and yeah. then sit in a jail cell for them. I say I would give my last breath just so they could have one more. Yep. And yep. I, I mean that with all my heart and it's Christmas Eve and my mind's going to some dark places. We know those places. Yep. And, Been there. and I had contacted some people and I was like, I, I, I'm not, I'm not a man who looks for sympathy, but I'm a man who needs help. And, and I can't, I can't do this on my own. And I got a referral from another person and our vice president, uh, his name is Jeff Golden. Christmas Eve, there's tears in my eyes. I was like, this is it. This is, this is all I got. And I said, this organization face, I sent him an email within two hours. He responded to me. You're on our mailing list. We got a zoom call. Hop on, give me a couple paragraphs on your incident, and we'll talk. Hope. Hope. Hope, Hope springs eternal. Yeah. And uh, I was introduced to FACE as a member, and I jumped on the call, and uh, he started talking, and I, I was very upfront. I said, listen, I'm a, I'm a police lieutenant. <laughs> and, and he goes, all right. Yeah. <laughs> so now, that, now, now it's like infiltrating a subculture, right? That you're a narc. Right. Like, you know, the biker gangs and everything, they're going to test you, except I told them I wasn't hiding it. I'm trying to, but for a while they, they were suspicious because they get people trying to infiltrate the group on the other side. And I had learned family law and I started asking questions. He gave me some things to do, forms to fill out where, how to go about it. And since that time, um, I've been on the call every night. I just became a regular. And, uh, I went from being the helped to the helper. And when people came on, I started it's telling me. It's going to be soothing for you though now too, right? It's purpose. Yeah. So what, the funny thing, somebody just brought this to my attention and they're hundred percent correct. People who have gone through trauma, like your trauma is your trauma, your trauma, my trauma, we're all, it's, it's all personal. Yeah. People who have gone through trauma have a higher tendency to become an advocate for the next person. Because they don't ever want that next person to go through what they had to go through. You know, you've traveled down that road. If you have a heart and a soul, you don't want someone to go through what you no. went through. So, like you said, you'd be the advocate to help those people. If, if there was a <clears throat> man or woman that jumped on early on and said, here's the secret sauce to get out of your situation, I, 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 I might not be here. I, I have to be that person. Yeah. If it's not for my own children, whatever, whatever life has in store for me, I got to pay it forward and do it for somebody else. And I'm help. We have federal law enforcement that calls up. We have guys that jump on and, uh, Jeff started in Pennsylvania. Uh, he's the vice president 
it's in 32 years this this organization has been in existence it's one of the longest running fathers uh rights group uh that i know of because they're a flash in the pan you talk about the podcasting industry longevity a lot of guys start off strong and they fizzle out you guys got it down right these guys at face got it down right Seven eight seven eight episodes on a podcast with is this nonprofit? It is a five hundred one c three nonprofit, all volunteer. I'm yeah. a volunteer. I don't get paid. Right. I volunteer every night. There's a meeting tonight, so after I leave here, I'm yeah. going to jump on. I got guys that call me now asking me what to do. Um, Feels good though, right? There's a young lady um, that that spoke to me uh, the other day, and she used this sentence, and. Uh, it cut right to my heart. It was a mental health thing. I was talking to people and they, they, you know, they told me what to do. She said, you inspired me. Yeah, it's nice. To get in a group. It's a good feeling. I said, uh, I'm a nobody from Nutley. But you're not. I'm, 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 I'm. I'm the sad story. I'm, I'm a disgraced police lieutenant. You know, I, I think I you get, I think you get to stop thinking of yourself as a nobody. Because you're helping people. That makes you a somebody. And you're, yeah. you're somebody anyway. You know, whether you think so or not, you're somebody to your kids. When you were saying they had to drag your kids off you, you're somebody to your kids. Yeah. So, you know, we, we joke around all the time and say we're nobodies. You're somebody to somebody. So a nobody to me is somebody with, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars in the bank million followers on social media and doesn't do anything with their influence. Exactly. Yeah. That's a nobody. I, I heard, uh, I heard a saying recently, uh, if you have nothing else like behind it, like you guys do like a great mission, being Instagram famous is like being monopoly rich. Yeah. yeah I, heard exactly. that. I, I read that one too. <laughs> so where can we find face and Jay? Yeah. So you can, uh, get on it's face org. And um, we have meetings uh, there. You go to the website. Uh, there's an info email. You can reach out. You can send an email. We get you on the meetings. Um, I, the reason that I know this is I had an opportunity uh, that Jeff Golden and Dave Fisher, he's the president. Um, they said they have an opening on the board of directors. Very good. And they said, we're going to have a meeting. It was, it, was, it, was, it was like a wise guy meeting. It was in a hotel. <laughs> They all had a little- Get the kiss the ring and all that. It, it was, you know, I went there. Saint, just remember, go hand to hand when you burn the saint. Uh-huh. And, and I went there and it was, you know, there, there's the whole board right there. And I'm walking. I wore a suit again. Oh, you should have wore a hood. You should have wore a hood. You know, the Illuminati. Coming, yeah. yeah. And, and I went in and uh, they, I'm on the board of directors. And I am, uh, I hope, an instrument to, to help others when I get on. I, I've, I have stories- and just to, to let you know, uh, it says fathers and children's equality. There's a good amount of mothers on that yeah, call, exactly. too. Um, Same-sex same marriages. We have people that are co-parents and not married that are involved in family court. I joke around with some of some of our our LGBT friends. Yeah. I said, you guys ruined it. I'm going to tell you right now, you guys ruined it. The one thing gay people had is they couldn't get married. Hey, listen, I'd love to marry you, but I can't. And you guys went and changed that law. Good job. Good job. What, you, you're seeking you're seeking a remedy that you you really have. Uh, you're, you're, it's good. Yeah, you got you got it well. You got it well. So there, there's there's a saying there. There is nothing that you can do unmarried that you can do married. This is true, except for one thing. 
get divorced. Yeah. <laughs> that is the only thing. Well, it's a, um, it's a legal contract amongst anything. Yeah. Well, exactly. the, num- the number one cause of divorce is marriage. marriage. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, re- no rehearsal here. Yeah. <laughs> Tom, we're coming to the end of this thing here, and your story is still being written, but the meat and potatoes of it has led you to your purpose right now, but you've gone through an enormous amount of suffering. I want to know what it's taught you. Uh, I'm thankful to be put in this position. I, I, I don't, I don't enjoy the suffering, believe me. Um, but I have to leave a legacy. There's a, there's, there's a term, um, in, in Irish and, and, and if Amanda Coleman is watching, please forgive me for my, my brogue. It's called Makushla and it's a term of endearment that I use for my daughters. And, and what it means literally in Gaelic is my pulse, my heart. And in Spanish, there's, there's a, there's like a similar. Cariño in Spanish. Eh? Mi corazón. Mi, cor- Mi corazón. But cariño is, and listen, Andrew, you might have to ch- chime in on this one. That's like. Your heart. Your heart. You, you bleed from your heart. So depending where you're from, there's a few different ways of saying it. Some people say mi amor. Yeah. Some people say querida. Some people say but it's, mi corazón. it's also dialect driven as well. Mi amor yes. is my love is right. Mi right. amor. Yes. I'm, I'm placed in this uh, position to leave a legacy that if for any reason my girls didn't know about the father, their father, or they're made to feel otherwise, I, I'm letting my girls know. You know, the funny, my heart. the funny thing about trauma is it, it works itself out when it's ready to work itself out. Yeah. And I strongly believe truth will come out. I believe in karma. I believe in all that stuff. And I believe karma is coming for you. And you're just... You're just paying into that karma bank, waiting for the cash to check one day, and you'll you'll get there. I know you're going to get there. You're a good man, Tom. Very kind, very kind, and very very proud um, to be here and privileged. Hey, man, keep up the good work, man. Yeah, good things come to good people. I know you're helping one of our brothers who we we think of as our family. Absolutely. And um, with for that alone, can't thank you enough for that. For nothing else, you take some phone calls away from me from him. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I love when I talk to him. And any day and twice on Sunday, any time of night, I, I, I'm proud to do it. We'll keep fighting the good fight, my friend. You got it, bro. All right. And that's going to do it for this episode of The Suffering Podcast, The Suffering of a Domestic with Tom Flynn. As always, let's think about all the stuff that we learn. We learned, I am grateful for Mike Felice. <laughs> the noble profession is a selfless act. Some events grow like cancer. Kids are the real victim when a relationship breaks up. But most importantly, knowledge is power, and knowledge is your greatest weapon. That's going to do it for this episode. Don't forget to follow us on all social media, TikTok, Instagram, Clapper, Facebook, whatever else I'm missing. Fans only. Fans only, yes. Only fans. Only fans. But I get that wrong every week. <laughs> follow Mike at Mike underscore Fillets. Follow me at Real Kevin Donaldson. And of course, follow the Suffering Podcast. We will see you on the next episode.